From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Welcome to the big event and welcome to the intro, Ann Killian. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to have you here. We are not going to talk about sports much, maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit. That's okay. It's kind of my uh, my specialty. It's your specialty, but I want to talk to you about music. We're here for the bands we follow where I get some colleagues in here who don't cover music, but I know are music obsessives, and you love this certain band. I've seen you mentioning them on Twitter a lot. Yes, the Avett Brothers. Avett Brothers. Um, we're going to get this podcast started with a song. What's a good song for our listeners Avett Brothers song. It's from the album Emotionalism, Paranoia in B-flat major. I keep having this dream. I'm at a party. There's people throwing drinks and screaming, telling me that I don't belong. Lately life's been the same. I find this comfortable place with all my friends. And then my friends start telling me that I've always been wrong. I like it. It's got a good beat. I don't know. I haven't heard it. <laughs> Let's cop to that, Ann. I, I haven't listened to the song when we're recording this, but I'm sure you picked one with a good beat. Um, we're also going to talk about your origin story as a sports writer. We'll talk a little Marin County. And I just want to tell you, I'm really excited to have you here. It's been too long. I've wanted to have you on the podcast. I'm certainly glad we can do it. We're your concierge for culture in the Bay Area. I'm Peter Hartlob, and this is The Big Event. Welcome to the big event, and welcome to the Chronicle, uh, where you work. That's awkward. And Killian. <laughs> well, I'm happy to be in the morgue. Yeah. Is this your first time down in the morgue slash the big event archive studio? Yes, it is. It is. I've been at the Chronicle since 2012, and I've never set foot in this room. Okay, give me your honest impressions, because uh, it's a little bit grimy. My last podcast guest, I had a podcast guest here who was very offended by the smell. Like, he was trying to power through it, but... Oh, well, so I'm kind of an old school, uh, you know, ink on my hands, uh, newspaper person. Yeah. So I love it. I love it. I love that we're surrounded by stacks of newspapers. We're surrounded by old Herb Cain columns. I grew up with the Chronicle being delivered at the foot of my driveway every morning my entire life. So my affinity goes well back before I got hired here. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about that. Um, you're here to talk about the, I got to look at this, Avit Brothers. The Avit Brothers. Yes. <laughs> this is a, a episode of the bands we follow. And um, I want to talk about your band obsession and your, you know, I, I've seen you on on social media and you, you have a lot of interest in music, but you seem to have a specific yes. passionate interest in the Avit Brothers. I do. I do. But I do like a lot of music. A lot of I like to think of myself as somewhat eclectic in my musical tastes. Yeah. So we're, we're going to get there. Um, but I wanted to start out. I kind of wanted to get your origin story. And you mentioned the Chronicle. We're both OG Chronicle readers. <laughs> What's kind of, do you have like a first newspaper memory or first Chronicle memory or just started reading it or paying attention to it? Um, it, it it's my first newspaper memory is the Chronicle. And I think probably as a little kid, my first newspaper memory of it was that the sports section was green and the date book was pink. Cause, <laughs> yeah. You know, that's like so weird, right? Um, and then Herb Cain, I think, was uh, something that was uh, 
easy as an early reader to be able to read um, because, you know, it was you didn't have to mess around with turning pages. Um, my dad uh, had been featured in Herb Cain a couple of different times. So oh, that what was for? Kind of, do you remember? Well, my father, yes, I do remember. My father, who was um, an attorney, uh, also, oddly, wrote the number one song of 1941, which what? was the Hutsut song. Yes. And it was the most popular song it, it's now used in in media um, like in movies and TV shows as kind of a, a marker in time because it was the number one song in the summer of 1941 so if you heard the Hutset song and and um, it was one of those nonsense songs but if you heard that song it meant it was pre-war and yeah. everything was silly and goofy and America was innocent and you know isolationist <laughs> and not involved in all these horrors that were going on around the globe and then a couple months later, it was no longer the number one song, and we were at war. So, um, oh. so yeah. So Herb Cain wrote about um, that a couple of times um, with my my dad, um, which was kind of cool. We had clippings in our house and stuff. Yeah. Well, I, is that song available? Like, is it on iTunes? Yes. Yes. You can uh, you can YouTube it. Um, it it's uh, it was in from here to eternity, and you know how it, it's become. I mean, it's very brief to hear it, but we, there's still some royalties coming in because it's featured in a Christmas story. So it gets played at Christmas time all the time. You know, I mean, doesn't yeah. like TBS do a Christmas story marathon or something where that movie's on 10,000 times? The, the scene at the breakfast table on their radio, the Hutset <laughs> song is on <laughs> before okay, well, they go off is, to school. If I can find it, it has already played, and I will keep it to like 15 <laughs> to 30 seconds because I don't want the, you know, your dad or the Killian estate to come after <laughs> me and the Chronicle for royalties. I don't think they will. That'd be awkward. <laughs> yeah, um, that would be super awkward. <laughs> so this is in, I, I associate you with Marin County. Did yes. you grow up in Marin yes. County? I grew yeah. up in Mill Valley, yeah. And yeah. Uh, uh, sports fans, were you early on? Yes. Excited about sports? Yes. Um, mostly because of my dad. My dad was um, a big baseball fan, and he was on Montgomery Street with my older brother on his shoulders in 1958 when the Giants came to town. Yeah. I mean, he t would tell that story all the time. And so my earliest memories of, of sports are sitting on my dad's lap. He would have his transistor radio in his pocket and listening to Giants games. Yeah. Um, you know, there weren't that many on TV then. So, um, you know, if, if we had had a shrine in our house, it would have been to <laughs> Willie Mays. Yeah. yeah. Were you, did you see him play? Yeah. 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 Sure. You're too young. I'm too young to really remember it. But yeah. I do remember him playing against the A's in the World Series and my dad being so upset that he um, couldn't watch the game because Willie was a shadow of the player he had yeah. been. And my father, like, leaving the room. But, um, <sighs> but... Yeah, I mean, I went to maybe two uh, Giants games when I was a, a young kid. Um, you know, back then, you you know, your parents just didn't, they didn't take me. Um, yeah. And I was, but then as I got older, I have two older brothers, and um, I was the biggest sports fan of the three of us. So it was something my dad and I bonded over was our love of sports. And, um, you know, I remember uh, he 
he wasn't a big fan of Charlie Finley, but of course I was really impressed with that team and their mustaches and their white <laughs> shoes and yeah. them winning world championships, which of course the Giants had never done in my lifetime. Um, so that was, uh, I was infatuated with the A's. My dad hated Al Davis, but there were the Raiders. And, you know, if you're an adolescent girl, those guys were kind of like swaggering, cool dudes. Oh, and Ken so, Stabler was the oh my God, I'm a Niner I, fan. I, I, I just loved Ken loved Stabler. Ken Stabler yeah. And my dad hated the Raiders. So we, <laughs> we kind of had a little back and forth thing. But, um, yeah, so my dad was a really big influence on me in terms of sports and, and um, just having it kind of be realizing it's kind of part of the community. Uh, sports writing. Now, I look back and... I read the Chronicle and listened to the radio. A lot of dudes, um, not a lot of women in sports writing. I guess I should ask, at what point did you think, maybe I want to be a sports writer, maybe I want to be a writer? Did they come together? Well, I always knew from probably the time I was about three years old that whatever I did in my life, it was going to involve writing. I was an obsessive writer. I would take my mom's typewriter into my room and write stories when I was in elementary school. Um, I would write plays. I wrote all the time. I read all the time. Um, when I was in high school, I was worked on the TAM News, the high school paper at, the, at TAM High where I went in Mill Valley. And by the time I was, I think, a junior – my my best friend, still my best friend to this day, um, she was the, we were kind of running the paper together, and she was the, the editor, and I was the sports editor, mostly because no one else really wanted to do it, and I was mm-hmm. friends with all the jocks. And then I also, the there was a weekly newspaper, the Mill Valley Record, and I would make a little extra money covering, you know, doing little game stories on what had happened that week in TAM Sports. So I was doing sports, never in 10 million years thinking that was going to be my career path. But it was funny because around that same time, so I said I I loved the A's. Mm -hmm. Well, then I became a Yankees fan because my favorite A's became Yankees. So Catfish and Reggie. So I'm kind of paying a little bit of attention when I'm in high school to, uh, to to the Yankees. And they have this really cute guy named Bucky Dent, uh-huh. you know, the one all the Red Sox uh, fans hate. But so all of a sudden I became way more interested. And right around that time, I think it was that same year that uh, Melissa Ludke from Sports Illustrated sued for the right to go in the locker room. I'm pretty sure it, it, it the exact timeline is fuzzy in my head, but I was covering sports I was a Yankees fan. She sued to go in the Yankees clubhouse. Like it all kind of, in fact, I remember I have a, for a long time when I was a kid, I had, well, in high school, I had a Peanuts, Charles Schultz Peanuts strip with Lucy demanding to be allowed in the locker room. I'd love to find that. It's probably yeah. here in the archive somewhere. But um, so it was kind of funny. It was like a little bit of a, little bit of a bubbling up in my head, like, wow, you know, this is something that's happening. I'm kind of peripherally, um, in my high school way, involved in, in sports. Uh, then I went off to UCLA, and I was pretty sure I was going to be writing, you know, Academy Award-winning scripts. And oh, be yeah, in the we film all school. were. Right, yeah, yeah that, that was where my – but I got turned off to the film industry. It was so obsessive down there. And then um, I got out of school, and I was working for a PR firm in um, in San Francisco, and – I uh, was had already applied to graduate school. Was and still, first thing I grabbed was was the Sporting Grain to read. Thought the writing was great. I when I had been at UCLA, I had read the LA Times, and they had this Laker beat writer who was so 
funny named Scott Osler. Oh, that yeah. just I used to. Of that course, guy. we had Jim Jim Murray, you know, and but then some of the beat writers, including Scott, he covered the Lakers, and he would write the most hilarious game stories. And then he became a columnist while I was still down there. So I I was always reading the sports page first, and really felt like it was the most, um, you know, vibrant writing in the in the newspaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I was applying to graduate school, um, I, I tw- had been toying with the idea that maybe I'd go into sports writing. And it was, you know, the late 80s, and it was a good time to be, uh, you know, a woman trying to do something different. People were trying to diversify workplaces a little bit. Uh, and right before I, I went, I left my PR job to head off to graduate school. One of my clients, one of our firm's clients, was Sprint. And they put on this race in, in uh, San Francisco, and we actually had some good athletes come and participate in it. Um, Steve Ovette and Sebastian mm-hmm. Coe, two of the top middle distance runners in the in the in the world, and um, we had so we had some real actual sports writers come and and interview, which in PR never happens. You never have sure. real journalists yeah. like actually be interested in what you're pitching them. So I met some and thought, wow, these guys really like their jobs. And I met Joan Ryan, who was a very oh, young excellent. columnist at the Examiner at the time, one of the, I think, the only female columnist in the country at the time, not much older than I was. And I was like, wow, that is so cool. She loves her job. She's so smart. She's so funny. Uh, Joan is now one of my best friends. She has no memory of this interaction. <laughs> did you did you run into Susan at any point? Susan Fornoff? No, Susan oh, Susan Slusser. Slusser, yeah. Yeah, so I met Susan. Um, Susan was, I met her, I think, right after I graduated from Columbia. Yeah. There was an awesome convention here in San Francisco. It might have been the very first one. And Susan, I met Susan there. Yeah. yeah. So I've known Susan for a long time. Your co-sports writer of the year. We were at her event the other week. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. I'm very honored to be uh, co-California Sports Writer of the Year with the great Susan Slusser. And I'm very honored to get to go to see bands with her, too. <laughs> yeah, she's a huge lover of music. Yeah. And that's going to be our segue. Um, I wanted to ask you, how did your music fandom develop? Um, were you already a pretty big music fan coming in? Once you became a sports writer, did it change or, or develop even more? Uh, so... I was a music fan growing up. I went to, you know, when people start talking about their memories of Oracle and the Oakland Coliseum, I mean, most of my most vibrant memories or uh, things I know I attended and maybe don't remember that well (laughs) are Days on the Green concerts um, uh, and, you know... uh, Concerts at the arena. I went to some killer Earth, Wind, and Fire concerts <laughs> back in the day. Um, Days on the Green. I mean, I saw my very first concert was the Beach Boys, Chicago, with this guy Bob Seger opening for them that no one know, knew yeah. who he was. Um, and then I saw, you know, I saw Leonard Skinnerd. It was uh, I saw Led Zeppelin, their last ever uh, Northern California or their last ever U.S. last ever North American concert. Was wow. that day on the green at, um, I don't know when that was, Fleetwood Mac, uh, the Eagles. I mean, 
it was pre- it was pretty awesome. Those were uh, in- incredible. So when a guy like Bob Melvin, who also grew up in the Bay Area, is like, "Yeah, I love this place. I used to come to Days on the Green here." It's like, yes, you know, any of us who were there back in the day know um, what it was like to you know get dropped off at six a.m. and sprint to the front of the stage, you know, with our Boda bags hidden yeah, down yeah. in our shirts, and yeah, it was pretty fun. Um, so I was a big, I was a music fan. I got turned on to Bruce when I was Springsteen, when I was in um, college, and that became um, probably my biggest. But going to school in L.A., I went to a lot. You know, I saw the B-52s early on. I saw X early on. I mean, it was kind of, you know, there was the um, punkish new wave scene going on. There was a lot Mm -hmm. of good music down in L.A. uh, back then in the 80s. Uh, And then... The, for a while there, the only thing I would really spend money to go see because I knew what my that I was going to get my money's worth was, was Springsteen. Yeah, you know, uh, was that kind of the first band? I mean, it, it, we're talking about the bands we follow. Was that the first one that you were? I'm going to see him every time he comes through town. And and did you take it even further and and go other places to see him? I did do. I would see him every time he came through town, um, but. I didn't ever really go anywhere else to see him first. You know, when I first became a fan, I probably didn't have the money. And then later on, when he started really touring again after his whole little interlude of, you know, his bad marriage and all that weird yeah, stuff, yeah. Um, I had little kids. So I I, uh, I didn't travel to go see him, but I saw him whenever he came through. And then eventually, which was really cool, you know, when he started, and it was at the Oakland Coliseum or Oakland um, at Oracle, I would take my kids. I, I t- I've taken my kids a couple times That's to see awesome. him. That's awesome. Yeah, I've taken my son to uh, Metallica and Rush, and I took him to Metallica, and he was young enough that I could kind of fool him. I told him we were going to see the Nutcracker, <laughs> which no offense to the Nutcracker, but you know, my kid was like, he's eleven or twelve at the time, and we got all the way to. Um, to up to walking up to I guess Oracle Park now I right. can't get the name straight and people are selling Metallica t-shirts and he's still like God we really got to go to the Nutcracker Metallica's playing here <laughs> so that was fun and I took my younger guy to Taylor Swift and told him we were going shopping for pants Aww. and we got in the arena and he was excited so sorry little little diversion there but um, I know how it is with the kids you can take them to a concert and that's like a really great thing but it also cuts into your time yeah you know, being able to follow someone yeah yeah so since uh I mean I would say I've tried really hard in the last few years to make a concerted effort to make sure that I see live music a couple times a month. I live, I still live in Mill Valley. I, I, I moved back to Mill Valley to raise my kids, and, and I still live there. And, um, you know, we're really lucky. We've got the Sweetwater. We've got Terrapin Crossroads. There's there's so much good live music in, in the Bay Area that it's um, – now I will. I usually don't go see giant concerts, though. I did go to see Justin Timberlake at Oracle the nice. uh, <laughs> a couple weeks ago, which was super fun with a with a with a girlfriend because uh, tickets were available and they were cheap. But yeah. uh, I usually don't go see big stadium concerts. Like I've never seen a concert at Levi's. And yeah, I, don't. I, re- I really don't have any interest. Yeah. I think even Oracle's too big. I mean, I like going to the smaller and mid-sized venues. When I do it for work, I'll go to uh, Levi's, and you know, it's. I think for a for a stadium show, it's a good show, but um, I just don't like the hassle. And I'd much rather, 
I don't know how it is for you, but you know, I, I like those mid-sized bands where you go and it's a little different each time, even based on the venue. You know, right. there's a different vibe. Whereas I think U2 doesn't even know where they're playing. I mean, right, right, yeah, yeah. I like, th- but we also have some some good places like that, like uh, the Greek. And yeah. then I don't know if you have you ever been to the Green Theater up at Sonoma State? No. Oh my no. God, that's an incredible venue. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna get my my family's up there, so I could go with my dad to yeah, see. Yeah, they do there. a lot of classical stuff, but I saw the band we're gonna talk about up there, which yeah. was yeah, pretty pretty great. Well, one more question, and then we'll get to the Avit Brothers. Um, as a sports writer, I, I remember I was a sports writer for a few years, and it made me not like sports. And <laughs> it now, can do that. <laughs> now, I love it when people ask me, "So, do you still root for blah 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 team?" I'm like, "No, <laughs> no, no." And I and I worked with Cam Inman at the, the who's the, my uh, good friend. Yeah, he's such a still writing for about the 49ers for um, our competitor, but uh, uh, root for him and love reading his stuff, but. He loved sports even while he was covering it, or he enjoyed the job in that way, and it just kind of sucked something out of me, and I decided not to do it anymore. But now I review movies, and I don't enjoy movies quite as much as I used to. I wanted to ask you, like, is music a really good thing to do in your spare time because it's not sports and it's different and you can be a fan? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I think it is, and I can cheer and I can scream and I can clap. You know, my kids used to say that I was not fun to go to a sporting event with because I would just watch. Uh, and, not, and, you know, I, I wouldn't cheer or scream or yeah. wear team uh, team clothes or anything like that. Now, if, if they were playing, if I was at their events, that's different. But, um, yeah, I think I think it's a different kind of outlet. Um, and it's But there's uh, so many similarities, you know. It's a performance. Um, unlike film, uh, live music is different every night, so it's kind of... You know, there's a there's a I think a very strong correlation between what musicians do and what professional athletes do on a on a nightly basis. You know how they approach their performance. Um, you know, obviously a musician isn't trying to win anything except the crowd. But uh, you know, there's something there's something about that real time experience that's very similar. Yeah. So, uh, Avit Brothers. Yeah. Uh, do you remember the first time they came on your radar? And yeah, yeah. My son handed me a CD, uh-huh. and uh, he was living in Steamboat Springs at the time. And um, my ex-husband and I had driven out there to uh, to see him around my birthday, and he had um, get, he gave me a CD for my birthday, and so we listened to it all the way driving back all the way to California, and I was like, "Whoa, these guys are fan." You know how the first time you hear a CD, you're kind of like, oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. Then you hear it again, you're like, oh, that's really good. And by the time we had gotten back to California, I was like, okay, I need to find out more about this band and 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 find out where they're playing. What what year was it? What was the CD? And what was the song, if you remember, that hooked you? Um, the CD was Emotionalism, which is still maybe my favorite of all their CDs. And... Um, you know, there's so many songs on that that are uh, so great. Um, uh, die, 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 maybe was one of the yeah. songs. Yeah, I think it was um, maybe 2012. Yeah. Maybe 20, yeah, 2012. Because then the first time I saw them was at uh, 
Jazz Fest. Mm-hmm. And I think it was probably 2014. My daughter was going to Tulane. Uh, and uh, so we, we went down there, and I was just – and my son happened to come along too. And by that time, so I was about a year and a half into my obsession. And, um, and I remember saying to my son, Connor, like, Connor, what if they're not any good live? And he's like, don't worry, Mom. I think they're going to be fine. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, he was having to talk. He's like, oh, God, what did I start? Um, and they were, they were just fantastic. Uh, it was just – and now I'm at the point where I don't really like to see them at festivals because they don't play long enough for me. Um, yeah. Like, they were at Outside Lands a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, it's just not – seeing them at a festival isn't enough. But, um, yeah, they're, they're just really – it's funny because when I tell people I love them, they're like, oh, you're really into country? And it's like, well, they're not really country. They're kind of bluegrass, but they're rock and their lyrics are great. Um, their lyrics are fantastic. I mean, and that, you know, anyone who's a Springsteen fan is tends to be super lyric driven um, in terms of, you know, why they are such a fan. Um, and David Brothers are kind of the same way. You know, it's, it's like poetry, a lot of it. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot now. Can you... Give me a lyric right now, um, a line, something. You are putting me on the spot because yeah. you know I'm old. So uh, you can look it up. <laughs> uh, this song has become pretty popular um, in recent. It's from their last album, and which you know Judd Apatow made this documentary called "May It Last" mm-hmm. that for HBO about the Ava brothers. First it was screened in movie theaters around the country on one night, and then it was on HBO. I think you can still find it on demand. Now they close all their concerts with, uh, it's called No Hard Feelings, and the lyrics are just, um, especially, you know, if, if you've had anyone die recently or anything, it's it's pretty, uh, it can be pretty emotional. Uh, the way it opens is, when my body won't hold me anymore, and I finally and it finally lets me free, will I be ready? When my feet won't walk another mile and my lips give their last kiss goodbye, will my hands be steady? Will my hands be steady when I lay down my fears, my hopes and my doubts, the rings on my fingers and the keys to my house with no heart. I'm I'm becoming a fan, Anne. Uh, <laughs> couple questions. Um, first of all, your son. Now I I have sons, and you know, my oldest is 14, and it seems like every other year, you know, we go in and out of him being interested in what I'm interested in, and there's sort of this push and pull in terms of, um, you know, whether he wants to be in my life, you know, because he's growing up, and mm-hmm. um, how cool is it to have your son? be the one who introduces you to a band. I mean, is that something that kind of amplified your interest in them or made it made, made just this interest in the band a little more special? Uh, no, it definitely amplified my interest because especially at that time, he was at that, um, the stage you're not at yet, but that he, he had moved away. Uh, he was really trying to find himself. We'd had a couple of tough teenage years. I... I had always shared my music with him. You know, he got turned on to Nirvana by going through my old CDs. And so there, I mean, there had always been a music thing, but it, but for sure, you know, that he he uh, turned me on to this band. And now he's turned me on to so many other bands. I mean, really, uh, Twiddle, 
um, he, I didn't know about Trampled by Turtles until uh, I Connor told me about them. Um, so he's he's still my my music guru a little bit. Mm-hmm. He always knows about bands long before I do, obviously. Um, but but yeah, it's it's very nice, and especially when you know. It was kind of a little bridge between some kind of a little rough, little rough spot, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. when, when, especially boys as uh, late teens, young adults can be a little tricky. Yeah, I, and I've gone to music with my dad through the years, and that's been kind of something we've bonded on too. Which is cool because I never had that. With my my parents were quite a bit older when I was born, and they were, you know, um, I mean, I had older brothers who were, you know, playing the Dead and Dolman Brothers and. Uh, Bob Marley and everything. Most of my musical impulses or influences were coming out of my brother's shut bedroom door yeah. <laughs> when I was a kid. So, so you said, uh, "Are they going to be good live? What were they like live? How were they different than on the album?" Oh yeah. Describe to me that experience and, and what made you, you know, like them even more or want to go back and see them more. They're just super dynamic. Um, they're. Uh, I wouldn't say they're that funny. Like they don't talk to the crowd that much, but they come into the crowd. Um, they just string the way they they arrange their songs. They have this incredible cello player named Joe Kwan who just like rocks it out on his cello, and um, and and they all the different elements of their band, um, you know, get obviously amplified in a way that a five minute recording of one song doesn't. Um, and they're just, they're both, um, the, the two brothers, Seth and Scott are just, they're really dynamic. I mean, they're just good stage personalities and, um, and yeah, they, uh, and they rock it out a little bit more than you would think if you listen to their, to their albums. Yeah. 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 I would, I didn't know until I kind of went back, but they, um, some people know them from, um, if it's the beaches is a really beautiful, love song uh that's that was uh aired on friday night lights Uh and that i think is one of their big early moments of of getting some fame um also i and love and you is another obviously a love song but uh that and i forgot what um which judd apatow movie that was in but that was in one of his movies and he became like the biggest david brothers fan in the world and created this beautiful documentary about them too um kick drum heart if for a little uh if you want to hear them rock out a little bit more but i would say um emotionalism is the go-to album mm-hmm. uh, i would say to listen to and then um the carpenter was another uh, this i think that was an album that came out around 2015 that's really great yeah yeah so i mean i would just i don't know that's that's a that's a good start. A sampler, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I have gone. I've traveled to see them. Like I yeah. went by myself to Vegas to see them play at the Brooklyn Bowl. Uh-huh. Um, I went to New Orleans to see them play. I was supposed to see them um, with my daughter, but um, uh, she was she got stuck <laughs> in some flight that was uh, coming back from Spain or something. And so yeah. I went to New Orleans by myself to see them. Oh. I went last uh, last um, fall to uh, see them at in Port Chester, New York. So, yeah. I'll, and, the, and they're coming to the Greek. They're going to be at the Greek two nights in August. Nice. And then they also are... Uh, um, Berkeley Rep is doing... A, uh, 
production called Swept Away. Yeah. That is based on their music. So I don't know anything about that. Sure. And then I have tickets to go see them at Red Rocks in the end of June, which I've never. Have you ever been to Red Rocks? No, no, I haven't. It's supposed I've, to be the best venue oh, in, the, it's in the country. Yeah. yeah. So they play there every year. So how many times, 2012 you started, how many times have you seen them over the years? I would say I'm probably close to 20 by now. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I think I haven't I haven't ever felt, and I, I will say that there were a couple times, um, U2 is a band that I have felt that felt repetitive a little bit. I've never felt that with um, Springsteen, and I've never felt that with the Avett Brothers, that it feels repetitive. I, I think with a band like the Avett Brothers, too, and, and some of the bands that I follow... Um, you know, I think like Bob Mould or Chuck Prophet or um, American Steel's a punk band I like. With you 2 I know the set list. Like if I'm covering the concert, I can look up the set list and I know when I've got to like get up to the top of the stadium so I can run to my car and beat the crowd and write the story. <laughs> I think there's something a little bit different when there's a band that's playing in different venues. So that's going to be different and then shaking up the set list. Steve Earle's another one who shakes. I love Steve Earle, and he'll shake up the set list. I think it's just a totally different experience. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and I think that they know, they probably know, a band like that, that, you know, they're they're different. I mean, they have some fame in certain pockets, but there's a lot of people who don't know who they are. So I think they know that they have to bring it every night you know because they're winning over fans um it's really interesting to me like how does a band like the avid brothers that have been around you know they i mean they've been together in some form or another for about almost 20 years and how do they really make it you know because they never really hit it huge they never have like you know some giant single that you can't turn off you know you hear everywhere you go so financially i'm not sure how they make it but I think that makes them better live, though. I I think of my favorite live bands, and Y&T is one of them. They're a rock band. When I was younger, they weren't my favorite rock band, but I go and see them now, and they're playing this, like, steady group of Fillmore or smaller clubs, and to be successful, they really have to give their all, you know, and and the lead singer is Dave Menachetti. I mean, he's basically the band, and I feel that way with... A lot of, you know, Bob Mould, Steve Earle, uh, you know, you you have to be creatively dynamic because you can't rest on the hits like I think some of these other bands can. You know, you too can play any one of, you know, six or seven beloved albums front to beginning and that's half the concert and they're done. But I think other people, I don't know, I I just think it makes the concert better. And Susan, Susan and I were talking about this when we were talking about the jam that, you know, when you when you get a band that's going in these certain size clubs, it just seems like it charges the band a little bit more too. Yeah, I think that it's got to be more fun than doing a a giant concert. But yeah. also, like I said, I do think that they're keenly aware of, you know, like Tara Vandiver says about Stanford women. Someone's watching women's basketball for the first time, so let's give them a show. Yeah, and I think that's yeah. probably the way these bands that are that are you know touring all the time doing it, but they're not quite at that super famous level um i think they have that mentality so i wanted to ask you what is your all-time favorite show that you've gone to and if you could give me as much detail as you can or or that's appropriate for the podcast including everything around it too i mean not just the show itself but do, do you have a favorite experience um well the first one at jazz fest was 
part of it because I had my son with me. Um, I went up to the front and they came right down and I was like, I have a picture of them, of uh, both of them about like three feet away from me, Seth Avett and Scott Avett. And I was just so like blown away completely um, yeah. by by how good they were in concert. I, I would say another one um, um, might have been going by myself in Las Vegas um, because I you, you don't know what it's going to be like when you go to something by yourself and being surrounded. I had I was standing on the side of the stage. It, it was um, at Brooklyn Bowl, a pretty cool venue, really close up, surrounded by all these people. I was by far the oldest person there mm -hmm. in this group of people I was standing with. And just the enthusiasm um, of people of all ages and, and uh, uh, just, I don't know. And so one was outdoors, one was indoors, um, and they were both really great i'm not giving you a lot of detail yeah you no, think i'm not, I'm not really a good the, <laughs> i get the vibe i mean you know you're by yourself you're in vegas and i i enjoy movies by myself i think more than any other situation it's just a different way of experiencing things totally and, i do yeah. too um and i want to ask you too and this is avid brothers you know adjacent but do you have a favorite venue do you have a favorite place to see them or any other music in the bay area green music center at Sonoma State is this gorgeous center that I had I had never seen anything there, and I saw them there, and it was just the acoustics are fantastic. It's a beautiful setting. It's got both in, inside, and then it opens out to a back lawn. Mm -hmm. It's really it's a great venue, but I really like the Greek. Yeah, I uh, the Avett Brothers will be at the Greek in August, and I just think it's such a great it's such a great show. Um, oh, I know another really favorite show is when I saw them at the Greek, and. Uh, I was I had a wristband through a friend of mine, so I was sitting in the roped off part. Mm -hmm. And um, Scott Avett came out. He plays the guitar and he comes through the crowd. And, and my friend was going, "Go down, go down, go closer, go closer." So I went down the stairs and I almost ran smack into him. And he gave me a high five on my way on his way back to the stage. Oh, nice! That was one of my favorites. Nice. That's a great memory. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, I like the Greek. What do you like? I am a. Um, Fox Oakland. Oh, band. I love Fox. Yeah. Okay. I think that's come along really well. A couple underrated ones. SF Masonic was the worst place to see live music for a long time, or one of the worst places. I mean, AT&T Park was worse. But right. but in terms of a place that's dedicated for music, I'd go there for comedy. But if I had to go there for music, it was for work, and I was always stunned. They did a redesign as uh, probably six or seven years ago now. And then I saw My Morning Jacket there. And was blown away. I mean, whatever they did, I've never seen someone redesign a hall acoustically and go from being, you know, something that you just know it is something that, that's not going to be a good experience to, I mean, it's one of the best in the, the Bay Area. Oh, wow. Yeah, Have I've you been, been there lately? Not for a long time. Yeah. No. Was, in terms of smaller ones, I mean, I, I go to the Fillmore a lot and I like it. Um, I like Great American. I think it's usually got a pretty good vibe going on. And then... Sweetwater, you know. That, Sweetwater. I need to get up there. That's my local. <laughs> but the problem with the Sweetwater is that the band is in the front and the bar is in the back. Yeah. And so you got to have you got to be there to see a pretty loud band because otherwise all the drinking Mill Valley people are going to drown out the music if you're if you're near the back of the of the venue. 
Well, we, we started with uh, uh, Marin County, and I'd love to close with it, too. Um, you're still living there. Do you plan to stay there? What do you like about it, and what's kept you there? Um, it's a lot different than it was, obviously, when yeah. I was growing up. But I raised my kids there, um, and it was a pretty great place to uh, to raise kids, even though uh, the wealth of some of their peers was so completely unrealistic from anything that I could offer my kids that that was, you know, that was probably the biggest issue. Um, I, I'm up in open space in five minutes out of my door. Uh, I'm close to the beach. Uh, it's beautiful. I have a lot of friends there. I happen to buy my ex out of my house. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not, I'm, I'm not planning on selling it. Um, I'm 11 miles from the Golden Gate Bridge. You know, it's, it's pretty great. Well, a lot of my favorite people are up there, and uh, you're one of them. Thank you so much for coming on. And uh, I, I just, uh, I've always said that when you came to the Chronicle, that was like our Matt Williams acquisition. <laughs> um, I really love your writing, and and uh, and it's been too long getting you on the podcast. So thanks for coming in. Thanks. I think I'm a slightly nicer person than Matt Williams. That's just me. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't know him personally, but I, I think you're a very nice person and a great writer. And thank you for introducing me to the Avit brothers. I keep having to look at my computer every time I do. No problem. I hope everyone becomes a fan. They deserve it. Excellent. Thanks, Anne. You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to my guest, Ann Killian. Our producer today is me, Peter Hartlob. Supervising producers are King Kaufman and Libby Coleman. Executive producer is Tim O'Rourke. And our editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album, Community. Read our columns and subscribe to the Chronicle at www.sfchronicle.com. Chronicle podcasts are on Apple Podcasts and other streaming services. Listen at www.sfchronicle.com slash podcasts with an S.